This is Infants on Thrones. Listener Essay. Listener Essay. Listener Essay. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is our November 2018 Listener Essay Contest. Where you, the listeners, get to say what you want to say, how you want to say it, where you want to say it, and it is more than a privilege that that where gets to be here, that we get to host these on Infants on Thrones, where so many of us are all infants sitting on different kinds of thrones, right? Today's essay comes from Dave and is titled, Perfectionism, Self-Loathing, and the Virtue of Suffering. And after you listen, please go to our website and vote for it and provide the author some personal feedback. Winners will be announced in early December. First place gets $200, second place $100, and third place $50. All right, ready, set. All right, go ahead. So I've been thinking about writing a listener essay for months, but, you know, it's hard. That's what she said. It's really hard. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. It's really, really hard. That's what she said! Sorry. It's difficult. In the past, I would have fasted and prayed for inspiration, but that no longer fits my... Idiom, sir? Idiom! Yes, idiom. Thank you, Concord. Now, instead of praying, I turn to my friend Jameson. And his partner, Jimmy B. Thanks, George, but it's mostly Jameson. I finally decided just to write the same sorts of things that I like hearing from others in podcasts. I'll just assume that you like what I like. Can't spend 42 years Mormon without thinking your way is the only way. Egocentrism is next to godliness. So I like two things when I listen to podcasts. First, I like hearing people's stories. I feel like it takes a lot to share your story, to be vulnerable, expose yourself for others to judge. I imagine that comes up from growing up in the super judgmental Mormon culture. Anyway, I appreciate when people share their stories because there's usually some part of their story that resonates with me. It feels like we have a shared experience and then I'm not alone. Then I realized that I'm not the only one dealing with Mormon relatives and guilt trips and whether or not to bless the food when grandma's here for Thanksgiving. Hearing the stories of the infants and their guests helped normalize what I was going through when I left the church. Before that, there was another podcast where Mormons would tell their stories all the time. Stories of Mormons or something. I don't remember the name, but that's where I first heard of the infants and came over as part of the Delin bump. Second, I like to learn something useful when I listen to a podcast. I'll try to share some stuff that's helped me that might help you. Hopefully, someone will benefit from this besides just me. So I'll tell you part of my story. I want to tell you my whole story, but I can't. It's too long. Um, phrasing? You know, I get that it's annoying when people try too hard to be funny and overproduce their essay, so I'm going to see if I can tone that down a bit. So we're just done with phrasing, right? That's not a thing anymore? Anyway, in some ways we all share the same story, and that brings us together. At the same time, each story is different and unique. That's why I listen. It's probably why you listen. It's why we need infants, so we can feel connected at a point in our life when we've lost our tribe, our community, maybe even our family. For me, I heard a lot of pioneer stories growing up. Descended from Willard Richards, I was regaled with stories of the early church. This dead relative was a general authority. That dead relative picked the London Temple site. Great-grandpa was LeGrand Richards' first cousin, so I got to meet him as a child. And all of these dead, great, and valiant relatives were in heaven right now, watching over me every minute of every day. Yes, they were acting as guardian angels, 
but also they were there to witness against me and be embarrassed by me and increase my guilt tenfold if I was doing anything remotely evil, especially if I got my little factory going. I was blessed to be born into the covenant in the last days as one of the great and valiant spirits. I knew that where much was given, much was expected. I learned, studied, prayed, and tried my best to live up to my potential, which, by the way, was infinite. My patriarchal blessing suggested that if I were worthy, I would be the prophet usher in the second coming of Christ, which, quite honestly, I'd already long suspected. But no pressure, right? Because masturbating one more time could be the thing that costs me the blessing of being the prophet, earns me the judgment and disappointment of my ancestors, and drowns me in a seemingly infinite sea of guilt. No pressure. Side note, my parents were married in the temple, but they're divorced. My mom is still righteous and goes to the temple every week. If I heard Mike Tannehill correctly, that means that my grandfather will raise my mom in the resurrection. She spent her whole life living the letter and, quite frankly, the spirit of the law. So she's earned the right to live in the celestial kingdom with her family for eternity, right? Well, as of right now, that family includes my sister and her family and two of my five kids. How's that fair? She's done a shit ton of enduring to the end to get to spend eternity with like 30% of her extended family. I don't feel like that's the message she was sold when she was a my maid. Back to God's expectations for me. I don't mean to brag, but in my patriarchal blessing, I was likened unto my older brother, Jesus Christ, just like Moses, and given the responsibility of ushering in the second coming. No worries. I'll just do everything I'm supposed to do and everything will go according to plan. Hmm. Enter a divorce after 10 years of eternal marriage. No success can compensate for failure in the home. She left me, but no success can compensate for failure in the home. Well, what if... No. Absolutely not. No success can compensate for failure in the home. You have failed and you can't fix it. Nothing that you ever do can make up for it. Well, thank you, David O. McKay, you piece of shit. Your cute little quote was my masochistic mantra for at least five years. But seriously, what's the fucking point? There's literally nothing I can do to make up for my failed family. Should I have had more family prayer? More family home evenings? Paid more tithing? I know some people that pay more than 10%. Maybe I should have done that. Too late now. What could I have done more? I don't know, but I could have, and I should have. I didn't know at the time that my ex was cheating on me, but if I had, I probably still would have blamed myself. As the priesthood holder in the family, it was my responsibility to make sure that we all got to the celestial kingdom, and I failed. What do you do when you have to be perfect, but you fail in the most spectacular way possible? Of course, you endure your trials and tests to prove your faith to God. You know, like the pioneers. So I hated myself. I wondered why God hated me, but I endured. I endured until I had a great spiritual experience and revelation that turned out to be utter and total bullshit. There was too much cognitive dissonance, and it all collapsed. This is what happens when they preach from the pulpit that either it's all true or none of it's true. Okay? You win. None of it's true. So I left the church. I was crushed, and I left. My divorce brought out into the open a pattern of self-loathing that had always haunted me, that I continue to struggle with, and which I suspect is the lasting legacy of all good Mormons and all former TBMs. 
This is why I finally wrote my essay. It's a scourge that plagues good men and women who should be able to leave the church and breathe a sigh of relief, but instead continue to punish themselves for years because of their indoctrination and upbringing. I wrote this essay because I wanted to share what helped me overcome this indoctrination in hopes that it would help you also. After years of self-reflection, I've been able to identify the three pattern of the psychological damage done by a strong Mormon upbringing. Perfectionism, self-loathing, and the virtue of suffering. So let's talk about the bullshit effects of being raised Mormon that I'm still dealing with. Maybe you can relate. Perfectionism is one. Not in a, I have to get good grades in school sort of way, but in the, if they do not walk up to every covenant they make at this altar in this temple on this day, they will be in my power sort of way. Another side note, have you ever wondered what it's like to be those guys who played Satan in the temple movie? I mean, imagine how people look at you when they see you in the grocery store in Provo. I bet it gets old really quick. Anyway, we have to do everything right or families will suffer for eternity, right? No contention in the home, be to church on time, all dressed in polish, family home evening, scripture read, fucking home teaching. Are you kidding me? Just be fucking perfect and follow every thought spit out by every general authority in every conference ever, including hashtag Ponderfy or Ponderosa or whatever. Honestly, it's so stupid that I don't even have the energy to look it up at this point. Anyway, there's literally no way to conform to every requirement put upon you as a Mormon. Some of them are fucking incongruent. What then? Anyway, perfectionism leads to self-loathing because you're not going to be perfect. But you're expected to be perfect, and God's love and your parents' love and eternal life are all dependent on being perfect. So you fail, because nobody's perfect as defined by Joseph Smith. So you're going to fail. You're going to fail yourself. You're going to fail God. You're going to fail your pioneer ancestors. You're going to fail your children and grandchildren and everyone else who ever lived that's depending on you to be perfect. So you're a failure. How could you not hate yourself for being so weak and such a failure? Yeah, it seems absurd when we say it out loud, but a lot of you are thinking like that. I know some of you are because I was. And a lot of others have shared a similar experience with Mormonism, and it's a natural way for someone to develop when they're raised with high-pressure fundamentalism. I promise that your self-loathing is not a reflection of your actual worth or accomplishments as a human being. Apologies for my humble brag, but I have multiple graduate degrees, I've published several books, I'm in a hall of fame, I have a pretty successful business with a dozen employees, I still struggle with a sense of self-worth. I've been out of the church for six years but it lasts. It lasts. Your sense of self-worth does not reflect your actual worth. You have value and you bring light and joy to those around you, even if you don't always see it. One more Mormon trap that I want to touch on is the virtue of suffering. That is a fucking cancer. We laud the pioneers because they suffered so much and we're grateful for it. I'm grateful for the challenges that God has seen fit to bless me with. The natural fucking destructive conclusion there is that if I'm not suffering, I'm not worthy. If I'm legit happy and my life is wonderful, then I'm somehow cheating the system and not really earning my place in heaven. When someone asks how I'm doing, am I great? Or am I great in spite of the fact that my kid pierced her nose, my business is failing, and I have colon cancer? There's guilt associated with just being okay when you're Mormon. You have to be okay in spite of some horrible affliction. If there is no affliction, we feel guilty somehow. 
often we create an affliction, anxiety, depression, or physical pain, so that our life has some value. It's a powerful side effect of being raised Mormon, and it's real, and it's powerful. Can you just be okay? Yes, but it takes determination, and it takes practice. So now comes a portion of my essay where I try to offer something useful to you, the listener. I've been a therapist for 25 years, Mormon for 42 years, and ex-Mormon for six. What do I have to offer to help? Surely I have something to offer. Don't call me Shirley. I do. I've grown tremendously both personally and professionally in the last six years. The issues that I see are perfectionism, self-loathing, and suffering. My therapeutic three pattern for dealing with these issues is mindfulness, self-compassion, and acceptance. At the end of the day, all that means is shit happens. Get over it and relax. I know it's not that easy. It's hard. Shut up! Will you shut up? But in the end, that's what it comes down to. How do you do it? It's easy to be pithy and summarize it, but it's difficult to actually do. But you can. Here's how. First, bring mindfulness into your life. The human brain can only focus on one thing at a time, and if you're focused on the warmth of the sun on your face, the beauty of the mountains in the background, or observing your thoughts as if there are clouds passing through the sky, rather than the very definition of who you are, then you're not obsessing about whatever it is that normally fills your mind. Negative self-talk, worrisome, anxiety-producing self-talk, or something else to complete this three pattern. Next is self-compassion. I was out of the church, so I only know through the Inference General Conference parody, but remember the give Joseph a break talk? The GAs were willing to tell people to stop holding Joseph Smith, the greatest man who ever lived, save Jesus himself, a break. Well, give yourself a fucking break. You were indoctrinated from childhood, guilted, manipulated, and, uh, God, what's the clinical term? Oh, yeah, mind fucked for however many years you were in the church. How many years have you been out trying to see the world in a new way? Probably much less time. Give yourself a fucking break. Allow yourself to take some time to overcome the brainwashing. The hooks may be in deep. You're a good person. If you believe there's a God, then she loves you and understands that you've been through some shit. Allow yourself some imperfection. You're not Mormon anymore, so you don't have to be perfect. And what is perfection? Joseph Smith's ideal? Brigham's? Whoever the prophet was when you were a kid? Whatever. You're you, and you're worthy of love and compassion. Treat yourself like you would a good friend going through the same set of circumstances. Oh, you just got a lot nicer and more understanding, didn't you? Come on, be kind to yourself. Here's an appeal to my authority. You deserve it. I've kind of lost track of what was next because of the Jameson, so I'm just going to wrap up because I feel like I've made my point. Mainly that the church sucks, Joseph and Brigham were assholes and continue to be assholes in the eternities who basically created their own Jonesville to get laid, and you're better off for being out of the church. You've done yourself, your children, and your grandchildren an amazing favor by getting out. I hope that your friends and family aren't shitty to you about it. If so, just remember that you did it for your posterity. They love it when you do stuff for your posterity. My wife is signaling to me that I may be coming across as a bit angry. That's fair, and kind of funny. Literally one of the only things that still gets me upset is talking about the church. Most of the time, I just let it go as being stupid and insignificant. But actually spending time thinking and talking about the damage the church does really pisses me off. That being said, the Mormon church occupies very little space in my life today. I don't think I'm exmo or former Mormon so much as I am a recovering Mormon. There's long-term damage, but I've turned from the lifestyle so my life is brighter. How's my life better without the church? It's much more than a 10% raise in Sundays off. 
My marriage is better because I had to realize that it was me that wanted to marry my wife, not God telling me that I had to. So I appreciate her more. My daughter isn't stuck in a tiny box destined to be less valuable than every man around her. She has a sense of self-worth based on her appreciation for her own unique character, not based on her ability to earn a necklace before she turns 18 and be married by 20. My sons can compete in their athletic events on Sundays, masturbate without feeling like their ancestors are watching them and they're destroying their eternal legacy, and not piss away two years of their lives selling the church to people who don't want to hear about it. Weekends? Awesome. I literally have an extra day every week now. Instead of losing my mind trying to get everyone dressed and out the door for a 9 a.m. meeting or guilting them into not eating and having a hangry family on fast Sunday for our 2 p.m. meeting block, we spend time together as a family. We watch sports, we play sports, we hike, we play games, we work on school projects, we have big breakfasts, we plan vacations, we wrestle, we tickle, we bake cookies, we do whatever the hell we want. We spend time together and grow closer as a family on most Sundays, which we didn't do before because we were all in separate classes, angry at each other for having to be there and feeling shitty for not being perfect and for making Jesus sad. I have an amazing wife. We've been married for 10 years, and she wasn't Mormon when we got married. She put up with my LDS bullshit admirably, but I think that she likes me better now. She wasn't raised LDS, so she doesn't always get what the big deal is and why it still gets to me sometimes. But she's also a great anchor to keep me grounded in reality and not obsessing about the alternate reality of those still in the church. My younger kids are out of the church and have a healthy sense of self. My older kids are temple married and all in, but they're adults, so I treat them like adults and they return the courtesy. No fighting about the church. I know I'm lucky that way. I know I'm lucky that I don't have to put up with more bullshit from my family. I just have to deal with some disappointment and tears from my mom and sister from time to time. So don't leave the church, or you too will break your mother's back and her heart. Honestly, it sucks, but it's a small price to pay. My friend knew that the two most important things to his mother was the church and her family, but mostly the church. So how do I summarize and wrap up an essay that's been so disjointed and all over the place? I guess it's just this. You are awesome the way you are. You did the right thing by leaving the church. You can overcome whatever lingering effects the church has had on you. And your future is looking better and brighter all the time. It's getting better all the time. I used to get mad at my school. Hey, that was great. All right, listeners, don't forget to go to our website and vote for this essay. Provide some feedback. And if you've got something you want to say and you can squeeze it in before the end of November, record your own listener essay. Send it to us. We'll post it. Come support us on Patreon. And as always, thanks for listening to Infants on Thrones. Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew Ryan. Carol Dutchley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.